Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. In the age of online retail, buying a car should be no different. That's why Carvana invented a brand new way to buy a car that's 100% online. Without leaving the comfort of your couch, you can browse and buy from their selection of almost 20,000 cars. And once you've made a purchase, your car comes to you, delivered right to your door. Or you can pick it up from one of their coin-operated car vending machines. All of Carvana's cars come with a 7-day return policy ensuring you get a car that fits perfectly with your life. Not happy? Exchange it or return it for a full refund. And with its dedication to customer service, it's why hundreds of thousands of customers have ditched the dealership and given Carvana 4.7 stars in customer satisfaction. So check out the nation's fastest-growing auto retailer at Carvana.com. Napa know-how. At Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers, get a $25 prepaid Visa card when you get any Napa automotive battery. It's the best deal for some of the best batteries from some of the best car people around. But we might be a little partial. Anywho, pick up any Napa automotive battery and save 25 bucks. Do it yourself or have it done for you. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers. While supplies last, offer ends 83120. Well, um, Maisie, you're in my... (laughs) (laughs) Hello, everyone, and welcome back for a brand new edition of Collider Ladies Night. I am beyond thrilled for this one because I have Emily Mortimer here with me. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I am good. It's so nice to see you again. You've got so much cool stuff coming up right now. (laughs) <laughs> yes, I, uh, I do actually. I feel very proud of um of of the movie that that's coming out now, Relic. Um, you, which I just sure? it, it's good. Yeah, <laughs> I I've watched it twice now, and I was I was talking with uh, we do a horror show called The Witching Hour that Natalie was actually just on, and I was talking to my co-host uh, about the movie, and both of us loved it the first time around. But I think it hits even harder when you know what it's getting at, and you watch it a second time. It just yes. makes that pit in your stomach ache even more. 
I agree. I saw it the second time. I saw it. At, I saw it was at Sundance, and I, 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 I. There was partly also because there was an audience and and all that, but I really was just staggered the second time by the kind of audacity of it. Apart from anything else, no one um, else. Yeah. So we're going to go back to the very, very beginning here. And uh, one of the things I always love asking about first is, do you remember the the performance, the movie, the show, anything at all that made it click in your mind that I have to be an actor? Oh, no, I, I remember a moment when I, I mean, I, I did always kind of, you know, do little play. I, I did little plays. I was a very, very shy child. I was an incredibly, ridiculously um, shy child. And I would get sort of embarrassed even if my teacher sort of called on me to say something in class or if someone said my name, I, I would blush. And um, so I wasn't what you might think of as a sort of natural performer, but I did have a very active sort of um, inner life, I suppose, and was always kind of uh, acting out things in the garden to my parents or to myself. And I would act out anything. I I was a television advert, so I would act out, like, adverts for washing powder that I'd seen on the television or cookery programs or anything, and I'd make them watch me. But I... The thought of being watched by anyone other than my parents in in the garden at home was, um, was horrifying to me, but I did... I did join the um, debate class at school and I had to do a debate about, um, I, I was speaking on anarchy and the, um, uh, you, you know, speaking for anarchy basically. And um, I was about 13 or 14 or something like that. And I remember sitting in the audience and feeling just so scared and waiting for my turn and feeling like my heart was just going to explode out of my chest. I was so scared. And then I couldn't possibly do it. There was just no way I was going to be able to do this thing. And then walking up onto the stage and, and, and something and putting my little speech on the lectern and then just something somehow, like it was like a hand reached out from the sky or something and, and told me it was okay and took me. And I, 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 actually enjoyed it I went from feeling more horrified than I've ever felt about anything to suddenly like oh this is okay this is cool and it it was almost like that was the only way I could be um I could be kind of uh brave was to just force myself to do the most terrifying thing I could have ever imagined and and then and then I was okay but um it was the in-between things, like putting my hands up in class or, or going to children's parties and, and being picked on by the entertainer um, and, and come to, told to come and help do the trick. That was my idea of absolute hell. Um, so I the in-between... gives me anxiety. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Because they'd always tease you. They'd always make comments about what you were wearing and you'd have to sort of laugh along with the joke, but you just want to die and uh yeah they were always kind of mildly abusive and you were always the butt of the joke I would spend my life getting out of going to children's parties in case I was picked on by the entertainer or once there hiding from the entertainers I wouldn't pick um but yeah that so it was just the realization that I could overcome my shyness in some weird way by really just uh doing something extremely um uh, public and out there and um, and suddenly kind of almost becoming another person um, in doing so and that and that was a kind of real relief and 
And I think that feeling has sort of is what then I got hooked on. I got hooked on that feeling. It was like, you can't be shy when you're doing that. And it does, it kind of gets you out of yourself somehow. Oh, for sure. I can totally understand that. I'll never forget my first uh, TV junket interview. And it was almost like when I sat down in the chair, I feel like I kind of blacked out, but yeah. I, did the, I did the job. And then after that, it was fine. <laughs> you can't believe that you could have got through it. <laughs> so you hit the point where you know you want to be an actor, but do you remember what made you switch from thinking, I want to be an actor to, wow, this can really be a career for me? Um, well, no, I mean, I just, I just, I went to university and I studied Russian and English. I didn't study theater at all, but I did act, I did act all the time. I did plays all the time. And, um, and I did a play at, at college and, um, it was a production of, um, Kafka's The Trial. It was a, a, it had been adapted by Stephen Burkhoff into a sort of theatre production, and um, actually, it was directed by Tom Hooper, who then went on to become a big Oscar-winning movie director. But an agent happened to come and see the play, whose daughter was at the university that I was at, and she just had been visiting her daughter, and she came to see the play, and she wrote a note and and put it in my pigeonhole, my cubbyhole in college and said, I'd like to represent you. And I suddenly had an agent. And um, and so I was getting work pretty much uh, right off the bat. I, I got a job just before I even did my final, um, you know, finished my finals and finished my degree. And so I was working um, immediately. But I, I guess the what happened was I was working immediately, but thinking always, I'm going to do something serious with my life. I'm going to do, I'm going to justify all the money that my parents have spent on my very expensive education. I'm going to, this is just, this isn't forever. This is just a little bit. And I was also doing things that I wasn't particularly proud of and that weren't very good. Um, and that I wasn't very good in, um, very often in a sort of crinoline and a wig that looked like it had been sort of dropped from out of space onto my head. Um, and uh, in some terrible sort of period thing and um, and just cringing and sort of thinking this isn't the, this isn't for me. I've got to do something serious and proper and and justify my education, as I say. Um, and it wasn't until I carried on like that for a few years and, and getting work and making money. But it was none of it very it wasn't making me particularly happy and I didn't feel particularly proud of it. And none of it was anything that anyone would have ever remembered. Um and then I met my husband, Alessandro Navola, a very accomplished and brilliant actor. And he was the first person who said to me, you better sort of shit or get off the pot with this thing because you can't really be half-hearted. You can't be sort of thinking, oh, I'll just do this for a little while about acting because it's like, it's a passion and it has to be. And uh, because it's really hard, it's a really hard life. So I don't understand what your sort of vibe is. It's like you're, keep saying you're embarrassed about doing all these stupid jobs and you've got to do something more important with your life or whatever, um, but you're still doing it. So it's like either decide you're going to do it and you're going to commit and you're going to do things you were interested in and passionate about <clears throat> or don't and go off and do whatever it is that you feel like you want to do. And uh, and it was kind of amazing, this pep talk that happened quite early on in our relationship before we were married. And um, <clears throat> And I thought to myself, He's right. And it is a really uh, 
it is a really exposing and vulnerable making job and it, it, it takes so much to do it and therefore do it with intention and do it, you know, with meaning and, and try to make the best of it that you can and give it your all, you know, and don't just sort of wait for something better to come along. So I, I thought I'll see what happens if I do that for a year and, um, and then I'll see if I still, what I, how I feel. So I decided I was just going to really take it and myself seriously and um, and the first job I got after that decision was made was a, was a film called Lovely and Amazing, um, which is still one of the things I'm I'm sort of proudest of actually, and I feel um, was a real milestone for me, and was really I count that movie as the kind of beginning of my uh, career in a way uh, of of the of the career that I feel like I was kind of in in charge of. What kind of sex do you have with your boyfriend? That's private. You're absolutely right. Forgive me, I was just trying to get a feel for what you find sexy. Why don't we try reading the scene? Yeah, let's just do this, okay? Is it difficult, though, that early on in your career? Because I even still have this mentality a little where I just need to, like, work, work, work all the time, and it's very difficult for me to say no to something. So when you're first kind of starting out and you have to pass on something that just doesn't feel right to you, is it, I don't know, do you have to explain decisions like that to your team? And what do you do if they try to nudge you in the other direction? Well, um, Maisie, you're in my... (laughs) 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 <laughs> you you're so welcome but making yeah. answer these questions much better than me um yeah no i think it's really important to uh, uh, now looking back on it i i was just learning i was learning how to act i was learning my craft i was learning how to sort of be in things with other people i was working out who I was. And so it was really important to go to, to do those jobs and to kind of, you know, not necessarily, you know, feel in charge of yourself or, or, or have a kind of plan and to just like, but at the time I felt, yeah, I did feel sort of, Oh God, I, I, but and at the beginning, I think you do need to just keep taking what you'll get, you know, you, you're lucky to be employed and, and it's, um, everything is learning and and you just hope that at some point you meet someone that you know or or something happens that can get you somewhere that um that feels like it's your place but at the beginning you just you're 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 out there and you're just learning and you're and, and you should just take what you can get and do it um and not have this kind of I would just, I, I, yeah, I think it comes back to being this sort of shy kid. I would just feel so embarrassed about sort of the idea of people seeing these things. And I would just dread anyone saying, oh, I saw you, yeah, I saw you in that thing on the TV. And I just be like, oh, no, please. I, I'm not sure that no one did. But um, no, I, and now looking back on it, I, you know, it's, you just, just do it and, and take pride in the fact that you're doing it. And then at a certain point, you hope that, um, uh, you're able to start working out, understanding what kind of a performer you are, what interests you, what your, you know, strengths are, and what doesn't interest you, and what, and generally, what interests you is what you're going to be good at. Um, and so, uh, when I got the script for Lovely and Amazing, 
and it, 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 I read it and I just felt like, oh my goodness, I just, this is, uh, to be part of this story and to be helping to tell this story, that's what I want, I, that's the kind of stuff I want to do, that's the kind of work I want to do and I, I've got to, I've really got to try and get this job um, and, and I did, amazingly. Having that Shire mentality, I do wonder, when you were first starting out, was there any question that might have seemed like a silly question about the way a film set worked that you were afraid to ask back then that, you know, now you wish up-and-comers would have the nerve to ask? One of the first jobs I ever had, which was a big movie called The Ghost in the Darkness, I was Val Kilmer's wife, but I got eaten by a lion very early on in the procedure. But I remember um, my first day on that job and there was this huge kind of, I I, I was in Africa and I, I it was all about man-eating lions in Africa and I'd arrived and I, I had walked onto this set full of, you know, thousands of extras and I had to be standing there with my sort of baby and having come to meet Val Kilmer and it was quite overwhelming and I remember the director coming up to me and saying, um, after my first take and saying, oh, that was really, that was really, you know, good. You, you did really well. Well done. You've got a slightly sleepy left eye. Um, so could you just try and open it a little bit? <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Definitely. Of course. No, no, no. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, really well. Yeah, completely. I don't, yeah, I do. I know. I do have slightly weird eyes. Don't... And so he went off and I was left there thinking, wait, I don't know how to open my sleepy eyes. That's the whole point. Like that, I don't know how to do that. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to maybe close the other eye a little bit to make it like, and then they were saying, turn over, you know, rolling, rolling, turn over and all these thousands of extras. And I was like, all I was doing was trying to make my eyes the same size and close one of them to, and you, if you look at the, you look at the shot and it's just so if you know it's just like what is that woman doing but I think I learned really early on from that that you just sort of don't pay attention to shit like that like just either don't pay attention to it or say you know I that's work you know I I that you have to kind of you have to sort of not be too obliging and um and people completely are able to handle it you know you just have to sort of if, if if something don't however shy you are however nice you are don't prioritize pleasing people over what happens between action and what you know you just have to be in that moment in that world and not thinking about anything to do with your tiny eyes or your <laughs> evening mouth or any of it I feel like that's the first thing I'm going to do after this chat is just like, go look and see what happened. I don't even understand that. Um, there is no way I can cover your filmography and not talk about Scream, which is my second favorite franchise of all time. Number one being Jurassic Park. So I am a big oh, fan of And his, everybody on Collider knows this, but I am a big believer that Alessandro's character in that does not get enough credit for what he means to the franchise overall. Oh my God, you need to discuss this with him. We I have, to, I have like a big theory about it. He, he, he basically, I find that Billy encapsulates what makes the franchise churn and it's the constant repetition of seeing somebody else make a mistake, but just human nature 
and and intrigue in that kind of science just drawing you to making the same mistake again and that's why he took the raptor eggs okay that is alan right there and still did it (laughs) you need to write you need to write a dissertation on this i probably should i think i think there's a there's a paragraph or two floating around out there but i feel like i could write many more words on that but uh stream three is hands down another one that i absolutely adore so before you jumped into that one, were you a fan? And were there any, I guess, nerves associated with jumping into this franchise that was one of the biggest horror franchises out there at the time? Well, luckily for me, I didn't really know that. I just went along to this audition because my agent said, there's a part in this movie, Scream 3. And I did, of course, know that there was a Scream 1 and a Scream 2, but I wasn't sort of like clued in to like what a big deal it was at all. And I I wasn't like horror and those kind of movies were not my thing. And um, so I don't even know that I barely seen, I don't think I'd even seen them. Um, And I went for this audition as this, um, uh, you know, very ambitious girl from Bakersfield, California, who, uh, and I was just like, there's no way on earth that I'm going to get this part. Like, there's just no way. I mean, I'm a girl from Oxfordshire. I've just got here to visit my boyfriend and I'm not going to get this. But, and I went in there and all the more reason, I mean, I was just like, there was cues of these very kind of glamorous, blonde, sort of LA, what you think of as LA chick sort of beautiful girls um, uh, queuing up for this part. And I was just like, oh, there's no way I'm going to get this. But I think that I get, I get, there's something that happens to me when the, when the sort of, um, when the chips are really stacked against something or against me in, in a, in a, in a moment, I, I get, I, I quite, I quite like it. I sort of, I don't know. I sort of just have a sort of quite good attitude to that. I don't really have much pride to begin with. So when there's um when there's a moment where you're really sort of not nothing's expected of you by anyone and you're almost certainly gonna fail, I'm I'm sort of I come into my own. And so I um I did this audition and I got the job and it was Wes Craven and I do really I do really have him to thank because that was before Lovely and Amazing, actually. And I wouldn't have got Lovely and Amazing if it hadn't been for the fact that I'd already been in a movie and done an American accent. And he was a real advocate of mine. And I loved working with him. I just think he was the most gentle, intelligent, quiet, softly spoken guy, but with just such a great humor and intelligence and such a kind person and he yeah he really sort of took to me for some reason and I did a Paris Je Thème, you know all these filmmakers kind of made little shorts set in Paris and it was the first one and he chose me for that and um and I did this little short with him and then and then a, a big that the uh, filmmakers were approached and asked to do um dress up their kind of music or whatever I don't know as as movie famous movie stars and um and he chose me and um as and dressed me up as 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 Audrey Hepburn for the New York Times and I felt like he was a sort of mentor and he promoted me and he um definitely paved the way in a way for 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 people like Nicole Hollison and others to feel um good about costuming and things 
I love hearing that. I, I admire him so much. So if he felt that way about your work, it does not surprise me at all that I'm a big fan of yours as well. Moving forward to Dal and M right now, what would you say you liked the most about being on a set like that as a creator, a writer and a producer and not just being in front of the lens? How long have you two been together? Oh, no, we're not together. <laughs> I'm married. Yeah. But we're so but we, open I mean, to that. Be, yeah. I mean, Might have been. I mean, we would have yeah. been when mm. we were yeah. younger. We're totally yeah, fake. Up but, that, yeah. yeah, no judgments for yeah, anything like that. No, no, I've got loads of friends thing, who yeah. have had. That's girlfriend. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Should I get the pudding? First of all, just making something with my best friend and what we'd been trying to... We'd been trying to write together for about... 10 years before that thing happened. Um, but we'd never really done anything. We just sort of sat in cafes and Starbucks all over the world and sort of, uh, she would always come to wherever I was filming and we would, um, we would just go and, and sit in the local nearest Starbucks and, and pretend to write something, but really we just gossip and it was just an excuse for her, come, for her to come and visit me wherever I was. Um, now she's much too grand and I'm, uh, I'm the one visiting her. But then she was the one visiting me and we decided we were going to write together as a kind of excuse to just keep talking to each other and keep up our codependency as much as we possibly could. And as I said, she would fly to various locations and and, and we would tr- write in various Starbucks um, around the world and but not write anything. And then uh, and then um, we would run up just tremendously huge telephone bills, um, uh, just gossiping. And then finally our... Uh, had uh, our husband uh, pretending that we were writing a screenplay and then finally we just had to come up with something because it was like the screenplay that Jack Nicholson wrote in The Shining it was like it didn't exist and five years had gone by and all this money on airplane tickets and phone bills had been racked up and we came up with this idea which was just a very simple one out of desperation it was like okay we've got to write something now come on and it was like, yeah, what happens if you make your best friend, your childhood best friend, your personal assistant? And um, and and the answer is everything goes horribly wrong. And uh, it really tickled us that that notion of, of these two women who are, you know, who are both the same age, the same sort of socioeconomic backgrounds. Um, they are um, uh, have known each other since childhood. And yet one is kind of acting as the other one's servant in a way to all extents and purposes and um and that kind of dynamic and 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 how that kind of interfaces with a friendship that's uh you know and completely equal um was was really kind of fascinating to us and made us laugh and we wrote the show and within about uh, a, a year, we we wrote it we wrote a, a a sort of a a little um teaser basically that we we acted in my trailer on the newsroom it was i was doing the newsroom at the time and we um and we got our friend Azza who directed it Azza Zal Jacobs who's a, a fantastic um independent filmmaker to come and um just shoot us in my trailer just making inventing things and sort of improvising we had this idea that we liked but we we just sort of made up these scenes and um and uh, and then he shot a bit of it in my in in the house that I was renting at the time while I was doing the newsroom, edited it t- together, and it was twenty minutes of what ended up being the first episode of this thing, and it was so cool because it was just bringing your best friend to work with you every day, and then also bringing all of our families, like both of our sets of children, 
all four of our children are in it. Our husbands are both in it. Um, my, both of our mothers are in it. Um, everybody that you love most in the world um, suddenly was there with you on the job, which is which is normally not the case. It's normally that you leave them all and go off somewhere and and feel lonely without them. And 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 this time they all came too. And and that show in a way is almost like a it almost is a kind of a a, a family album like a photograph album in a way it's like this incredible thing that we'll we'll all have forever that that um you know I don't know it's a sort of record of of something I love that it makes me it makes me wish that you guys could make some more of it I know me too we we, we, we really want to we're, we're trying I don't know that it will be exactly Don and M but there might be something else that we're sort of concocting I do wonder though, because it's very difficult to find now. Is there is there any reason it's not available on I don't know a streaming service or something? No, yes, no, not really. It was just like it fell in between all sorts of stools and it just didn't because it was Sky and HBO. Mm-hmm. There was all this kind of boring red tape that meant that it it, it isn't really being officially streamed um, by any of the big platforms at the moment, which is so crazy. Um, but we're working on it. I think it's it's going to happen. It's going to it's going to come back into the sort of um, yeah on, onto people's uh, laptops and screens soon. I am happy to hear that. As we creep closer to Relic here, I want to talk a little bit about working with uh, Martin Scorsese because you jump into a movie like that. I imagine there have to be expectations that come with working with a director like him. So. What were those expectations and how did he exceed them? Walking onto his sets, it's like walking into church or something, really. It's it's like you could hear a pin drop um, and everybody is just knows their place. Everything is very, there is a kind of ritual to the whole thing. It's like all these people who have been working with him for years and years and adore him and, and are adored by him, um, but everybody from the kind of the person that's bringing you your cup of tea to the sound person, to the costume designer, you know, Sandy Powell, they're all, they're all, uh, you know, at the absolute top of their game. I mean, they are all the most brilliant people in our industry. Um, and to be surrounded by those people and to be able to have the benefit of their expertise is just it's so crazy. It's so wonderful. And it is really intimidating, but in the kind of best way. Um, and are you just feel, I don't know, there's something about, there's something about working with people who are so good at what they do and working with Martin Scorsese, who is so good at what, is, what he does, that it's it sort of the nerves are, the, the terror and the horror of the situation is completely mitigated by the fact that they are so expert and so good and so and you're it's not sort of they've chosen you because they want you or something like it 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 very quickly doesn't feel like well I mean of course in the back of my head there's always a feeling of like this is a mistake like I uh, this was a terrible mistake (laughs) this was some piece of paperwork got mixed up and I shouldn't really be here at all someone else called Emily should be here um but but he doesn't he really doesn't make you feel like that you know that's just the voices in your head the reason that he makes movies is because he loves movies he's an uh, uh you know a cinephile by like bar none and 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 so there's such enthusiasm for 
the process of making a film and he's so ungrand about it and every shot that you that he's creating it's all um it's all like oh this is a show he'll say oh you know you're lying in this scene so i'm going to put the camera above your head because in every hitchcock scene when someone's when a character's lying or not telling the truth the camera's looking down at them um from higher than they are and 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 he just is getting such a kick out of it that you do too and it sort of stops it doesn't feel precious it just feels very you know precise and good and uh he has a great talent that the great filmmakers have of 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 just somehow by some osmosis or something like you understand the world that you're in that you understand the world that he's creating and you know kind of half your job is done because he just help he just he lets it be clear what the world is and and you can just enter it and go with it what is it like especially when you describe i i think you use the word ritualistic for his set and his process and everything so how is it going from something like shutter island to hugo where you have this very accomplished experienced director working with new technology do you see a difference there not really. He took it so in his stride, that technology. And as I said, it was basically part of the same thing, which is just the, um, uh, you know, the kind of the joy of it, the joy of being able to work with this technology and not and, and it makes him very ungrand. He's not grand at all, um, even though there is this, yes, this kind of this very extremely calm and precise set that is run like a sort of fine oiled machine um he, there's the joy in in all the discoveries and, and also of course you know uh, hitchcock had made movies in 3d and so it wasn't like he was doing anything particularly groundbreaking he was just able to work with smaller cameras than they had and and um uh yeah so no so going from working with incredibly accomplished directors like Martin Scorsese, Wes Craven, you name it, to working with a first-time feature filmmaker on Relic with Natalie here, what what was it about her that gave you the confidence that when I jump on that set, not only is she going to be a good filmmaker, but that's a pretty dark headspace to have to commit to for a while. But, you know, she'll take care of my needs on set, too. I just knew from reading the script that she was a filmmaker. I just knew that she was somebody that had, like, talking about the world, like she she had created a world, even just in the screenplay. It was so audacious. It was so bold. She just seemed in perfect charge of herself. She's very quietly spoken and very kind of gentle person. So it wasn't with any kind of, you know, um, she wasn't wielding her power in any way, but she was just, calmly centered and just clearly knew what she was on about from the word go and I just felt really safe in her hands and I I felt and also she's really perfectionistic like wasn't gonna she was not gonna move on unless she was happy with the tank or the shot or whatever it was and and she was a stickler and I I I think that was a very kind of that was a good sign. That was just like right from the word go. I was like, oh, yeah, no, she's a perfectionist. You have to be a bit, bit of a perfectionist. I remember the toothbrush story from Sundance. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's good to have that eye for detail, though, especially with something like this. As far as your characters go, 
I think we get such full versions of them in this 90 minute film, but just for you and for your prep work, do you have to come up with more backstory for Kay? Because now that I've seen the movie multiple times, I've gotten obsessed with the characters and I'm like, well, like what was her child like a uh, child's uh, hood, like growing up? And what about her relationship with Sam and who is Sam's father? I have all these questions now. I know. No, no. Yes, me too. But, but we did have actually more backstory um, when we uh, started shooting and then in the end it, it got it got cut because it was sort of, and I think that was right because really it's a sort of every man family, I think. It's a tale that is, is, you know, as old as time. These three women, one of them is my mother, one of them is my daughter. I'm coming home to help her because she's sick and ailing um, and eventually is going to die. But But of course... Life is more complicated than that, and relationships are more complicated than that. And um, I'm coming home because I love her, and and also because I have some duty to her. And she's my mother, and she raised me. But it's fraught with kind of guilt and regret, and and um, confusion and pain. And and my relationship with her is has all those elements, and so does my relationship with my daughter. And I think it was right that you feel that, but that you don't have, I think to go into the whys and the wherefores of it was unnecessary because as I said, I think that's pretty much every family and every relationship between um, mothers and daughters and, and daughters and mothers um, has elements of that, you know? And um, so, yeah, there, but there were, there were more, there was more backstory. I think I had been a, a sort of, uh, you know, I'd had a career as a, 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 a at the UN. Um, I was a human rights uh, lawyer. Um, I was quite a high-powered sort of quite, you know, career-oriented woman. And I had, um, you know, kind of relied on my mother when my daughter was in her childhood and when I had got divorced. And I'd obviously had some kind of, breakdown as a result of, of splitting up from from the father of Sam and had used my mother and father as a kind of as 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 you know had had they had been basically rearing my kid for for the few years where life got difficult and and so that had set up this kind of journey of psych like kind of guilt and uh, shame and regret and um, and gratitude too and all that stuff. So, um, but I think it was good that that actually didn't end up in the final movie because, as I said, I think we all understand difficult interfamilial relationships. Um, and once you get too specific, it makes it less some, like something you can relate to. It definitely didn't need it, but after you've seen it multiple times, it's it's fun to kind of yeah, <laughs> film, those, yeah. film those little blanks there. I love having that kind of information. I did want to ask you, and I'm going to put a big spoiler warning up on the screen, two spoiler questions. And, you know, this, this one's a little convoluted. I got into talking uh, to Natalie about it. And I'm just curious from your perspective, what you have to have in your mind when you're working with this. It's like, I guess I'll call it the evil entity of the film. Because I think it can be interpreted, you could look at it as like a supernatural creature in a sense, but it's also just like a very real human affliction. So when you read the script for the first time, what are some of the burning questions that you had for Natalie so that you could fully play what Kay is seeing at the time? 
gosh, you know, I didn't really have any questions because to me, as somebody that has kind of gone through losing a parent and losing a parent who was old, my dad was old when he died. He was 85, but he, and he, it was about 10 years ago, but he was, uh, so he was kind of dying of decrepitude in a way, old age. Um, but, and he definitely had kind of cognitive, like impairment towards the end where I don't know whether it was exactly dementia, but I think it was a version of it where suddenly he, was looking at me like he sort of didn't know me at times, you know, and that that is such the most horrifying experience. It is so odd, as I'm sure anyone who's uh, had that had to deal with that will agree that it's scarier than kind of anything you could ever think of in a horror film or anything. When 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 someone you know all your life and has reared you and raised you and never not looked at you with 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 anything but love. It's suddenly looking at you like they don't really know you. Um, that's that's horrifying, and it does feel almost like they've been taken over by some supernatural force or something. And um, it's to me that was all I needed to sort of think about. Like it was that it was that simple, really. It's just like what happens to us as we sort of decline and age and 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 start to make our way towards death is sometimes really scary at first glance and and it is like having been taken over or or, or that you that that the part of you that is the kind of the, the the bit that feels the most sort of present and relatable has just kind of been I don't know hijacked and um so I I really felt that was all uh I needed to sort of think about and draw on yeah the way you describe it is why this is the kind of movie that keeps me up at night and not necessarily the jump scare slasher type as much as i enjoy them the other the other spoiler question i wanted to ask you was shooting that final scene the material with the puppet just uh, what was that like for you had you ever done anything like that before that just seems wild to me no it was amazing i i really felt incredibly I mean, I was, I, I didn't know what it was going to be like. I remember writing to a, a text to Bella after, after we'd finished um, that, that scene. And um, before she came for her little bit at the very end, and I was like, I've just spent all morning peeling a skin off my dead mother or my, you know, I, I like what is going on. But um, I, it, it was an extraordinary experience. It was, it was like, when I read that scene, I felt like that was what sold me on the movie as, you know, um, when I got to the end of it, it had been beautifully written and constructed and full of amazing things all along. But then I got to that last section. I was like, wow, this is just so extraordinary, so bizarre, so outrageous and kind of audacious. And I like mad, like I've never thought of, or I've never seen anything like this. I've never even thought of anything like this before in my life. And yet it speaks to me like, yeah, I can really, I, I sort of, this, it's speaking to me. I get it. It's, I get it. It's cool. I'm, I'm with it. I'm, and then, and then when we shot it, I had that feeling too. I was like, this is, this feels right. This feels like what it feels like in a way to help someone that you love die and to help someone kind of shed Again, it's a ritual. It was a ritualistic, you know, thing. It's like shed, 
shared the kind of the, the, the sickness, shared their body, shared their, shared the thing that's holding them back and stopping them being able to make that sort of incredibly difficult, but yet sort of beautiful journey to death. Um, and, and very often, you know, people need their loved ones to help them make that journey. And there was something about that, that peeling off of the skin and the hair and this extraordinary ritual that felt both as horrifying as it really feels in real life to, to, to help someone die and, and as beautiful and kind of cathartic in a way. And so I just think it's just an exquisite moment of movie making. And I was so proud and moved by it while I was doing it. And so proud to be a part of that. You really should be. I, I think the the headline of my review of Relic is that it's bound to be one of the best horror movies of the year. I just think it's something special when you take genre and you get at, you know, human truths that are very difficult to process, like what you guys do in this movie. So I cannot congratulate you enough on this one and everything you've accomplished over the course of your career. Emily, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. My daughter's clapping. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 he's clapping you more than me <laughs> I, I hope you enjoyed did you enjoy it <laughs> and my job is done here Napa know how this month Napa's got all kinds of motor oil deals that can save you some serious cash like a five-quart jug of Napa Full Synthetic Motor Oil for just $16.49. With savings like that, you may start feeling like a VIP, but don't let it go to your head. These oil deals are for everyone. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. General States pricing. Sales prices not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. Offer ends 831 it's that little chico pit bull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, from negative to positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.